Ever wanted a career in football? From TV deals to player transfers, football is now a global, multi-billion dollar industry in need of qualified professionals who know the sport inside and out. Brought to you by the Global Institute of Sport, the Masters of Football Business is delivered by experts from Australia and around the world. Learn online with unique access to networking and guest speaker events at the iconic MCG. Be one of the first Australians to get a football master's degree. Apply now to start in February 2022. Learn more at gis.sport/fnr. gis.sport/fnr. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter. Costa Barbarousas. Unbelievable kick. <laughs> Big week in Australian football, and we're here at the Oz Football Hour on FNR Football Nation Radio are here to break it down for you. Josh Parrish and Jason Goldsmith with you till 7 pm. This show brought to you by the Global Institute of Sport. Kickstart your career in football business. Check out their football business master's degree available online with touch points at the MCG. GIS.sport slash FNR is the place to go to find out more. Uh, Jason, we're going to start with the Socceroos who dispatched Vietnam 4-0 at Amy Park last week. They face a crunch game against Oman overnight. 3am kickoff. The devil's hour for that one, but... Uh, we'll start with you and start with that game because the atmosphere at Amy Park was incredible and you were in attendance. I was, Josh. Um, it was a, a great atmosphere. I think the soccer is active were as loud as I can remember in, in recent years. They did a very good job. But the real atmosphere was created by the number of Vietnamese fans there as well. There's about 10,000 or estimated 10,000 Vietnamese fans. And, geez, they made some noise when they had their, their brief moments of attack. It was really, really, really good atmosphere. And a fitting result, 4-0. We should have beaten them by that score, I think. The match got out to a pretty outrageous start with Rogic opening the scoring after 19 seconds, only for the VAR to call the referee over to the sideline and rule out for for an offside infringement. Jackson Irvine, uh, in the referee's judgment anyway, standing in the line of sight of the goalkeeper. But that sort of set the tone, that early pressure. I mean, it was... A great performance because you want that's what you want at home to kind of overwhelm the visiting opposition with that burst of energy in the first ten minutes. And Rogic continued for the rest of the game in that in that vein. Mm. Really, you want someone of his size and ability and caliber to almost bully the teams like this. Like he played that that the right game for us. What we should do when we're at home to a team that's on the bottom of the group. So. Um, it really was a great start and the crowd were up for it after that. Like nothing, nothing better than getting mm. everyone ready and pumped up in the first like, 19 seconds or whatever it was. Um, took a little while to come back into it after that, but two goals in the first half and two in the second from some subs. First goals ever to, you know, Goodwin and McGree in the national team. So it was, um, yeah, re- it's really good. So 3 a.m., are you going to get up for it? I am, but I probably will regret it. it's always the way isn't it but I think this will help get some match fitness ready for the World Cup later in the year because some of the game times are going to be around 3am well that's if we're there Jason I guess we'll be watching it anyway but (laughs) well just on that too so the games tonight there's the we're third in the group Mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia are playing Japan first versus second at about 9pm Australian Eastern time 
We probably want some, if it's a draw, we were going to jump to second, but we probably want Saudi Arabia to win the group for us to, to pinch that second spot and some automatic qualification. Yeah, so the state of play, Saudi Arabia first place on 19 points, facing Japan tonight on 15 points, Australia on 14 points ahead of Oman on seven. Uh, it is officially the last roll of the dice for Oman uh, tonight. So you'd expect them to take a few more risks than they otherwise would, given that they need three points if they're going to have any chance of overtaking Australia, which is looking a bit of a, a distant proposition, but still. Yeah, but they should too, because we aren't very strong in the Middle East, mm. it's proven as well. I would heard I read some whispers that there might be some COVID problems with the Armani team. I know there's no crowd in Musket for this game for, for those reasons, but there might be some uh, issues with the players. But we've got uh, on the other side of that, Arnie has been deemed fit to travel across and he'll be taking the reins after he coached via phone or via Zoom last Thursday. I like to think it was a giant red Cold War style phone down <laughs> to the bench with Rene Mullenstein on the line. Yeah, so, well, Rene's got a good record now, is he? One, one and one. <laughs> Best soccerage so, coach of all time. <laughs> you got the record. Um, so it was good. So, but I'm not sure we learnt too much about the Socceroos on Thursday night, but we just got some some guys into a little bit of form, which is nice, mm. and a couple of guys, a couple of South Aussies in Goodwin and McGree, as I mentioned, getting their first ever goals for the Socceroos, which will always help with the confidence, especially when they again you know need to finish in that uh, in the final third. Goodwin's goal, great finish. I don't think you're going to get that chance against a, a good defence. It was a long clearance from Matt oh, Ryan, Ryan that just yeah, missed everybody. And Goodwin's uh, chip over the goalkeeper was the kind of uh, quality that we've come to expect from him in those goal-scoring positions. So he's a handy player to have in the squad when he's in good nick. They're decent bench players at that stage. And a couple of new caps too. So Marco Tilio uh, mm. got his first cap off the bench in that sort of impact Role and um and King played the full ninety minutes in defence and uh, and secured a move overseas as well. So it's been a big big week for him. Yeah, absolutely. He's not going to play tonight. Graham Arnold uh, said he was really proud of the way that Joel King played. Said it was one of the most mature debuts in a high pressure game that he'd ever seen. But since it had been a kind of overwhelming week for for Joel King and he's got this move uh, abroad to Scandinavia lined up as well. He won't go back to Sydney after this this match in the Middle East. He'll just continue on to Europe. Uh, it was a bit of an overwhelming, you know, emotional time for him and he didn't want to chuck him in the deep end again and against Oman. So as is Bayich, the more experienced incumbent who was delayed by a blizzard of all things in Istanbul, uh, will make it in time to uh, to take up his, his starting spot on the left-hand side of the defence. The conundrum for me is in midfield. Yes. Because Aydin Trustic, who was suspended for this game, uh, against Vietnam is back in contention. Do you go with the same Moy Irvine Rogic uh, midfield three for this one, or do you try and incorporate Hurstic elsewhere in the team because he does have some versatility in that regard? Do you drop one of those players to bring him back in? What's the go here? Do we is it horses for courses? Do we have to think about this game differently to how we thought about a game against a team on the bottom of the group? Yeah, good question. Like tactics is not really my strong point in terms of this, but I mean the front three. Of us, you've got to, you know, when we have, you know, Boyle, McLaren and Leckie, maybe we have four in the middle. Rustic's our best player. Mm. So he is our best player. He's playing at the highest level of, of most of our, our team. Yeah. He has to play because we need him in form for the national team. He's a great dead ball specialist. He's he's creating for our guys and we want him to be confident because the we well, let's hope we win, we beat Amman, but the big games for us are the, the, the last two of the group, right? So come March with Sydney hosts um, – uh, the soccer is against Japan, and then it's and then Saudi Arabia away. 
they're the bigger two in terms of qualification to get trying to get sneak that or pinch that second spot. So I would I would have Rustic in the team. If you're going with that midfield three, I think um, Rogic was clearly our man of the match. I thought last last game against Vietnam, and yeah, Jackson Irvine is in some great form as well. So maybe it's Aaron Moy that sits this one out. Yeah, for me, Aaron Moy, even though he had a reasonable game against Vietnam, is probably the player to make way. Is that's probably the simplest way to accommodate for a stitch in the team because Moy, although he did what was asked of him, he was the deepest midfielder. He was directing traffic, basically just recycling possession mm-hmm. and spraying yep. the ball around. For most of the game, aside from maybe a 15-minute stretch at the start of the second half, he wasn't put under any real pressure from the Vietnamese team. They were sitting very deep. They weren't able to get near him. Yep. And they were too worried, worried about Rogic's movement between the lines and trying to pick him up and stop him to actually apply pressure on the ball when Moy had it. So for me, I don't think his performance uh, justifies him continuing necessarily in that spot. Um, and... Potentially Hrustich, Irvine, Rogic for this game is probably the most likely starting eleven. But the other way you could spin this is that Hrustic had a couple of great games for the national team playing on the right-hand side, cutting into his left left foot. Mm. So if Leckie is the player to drop out and Martin Boyle can move over to the other flank because Leckie's performance, maybe a divided opinion, mm-hmm. um, wasn't the best in terms of end product, then you could keep your same midfield trio for yeah, this one that would work i think the only the only question on lecky is his finishing i mean it, it took him a long time to score his first soccer his goal as well and then he had um, plenty of chances early too uh, against vietnam so it's his, his finishing so that's why um yeah boyle has finished for us constantly mm. he's been he's been a great asset to the team since he's uh since he pledged his allegiance and joined the the australian side so interesting one the other one um that really impressed me seeing live for the first time was fran karacic um, I thought he was very impressive uh, in his ability to, uh, yeah, get get down get down and cross it in. He was he was fantastic. So I hope they continue with him. Mm-hmm. I know um, Ryan Grant's a bit of a favourite of, of Graham Arnold, and not so many of the of the fans sometimes. But we'll see how that one works out too. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, Fran Karacic was out of the team for a little while, but it was revealed that he actually had was dealing with long COVID, yep. so he wasn't playing at his club side either. Now he's back playing in Serie B you'd assume that he's a shoe in to start again, considering his performance in that last match, unless he's pulled up really sore. And we never know, you know, with these turnarounds, how much squad rotation is necessary, but we've had three, four day turnarounds with the national team before uh, in conjunction with these long haul flights. This one is, you've got almost a full week. So I wouldn't suggest that barring any niggles and injuries, you really have to rotate the team for, energy depletion no no I, I wouldn't have thought so um no i wouldn't have thought so i think it'd be pretty standard to what where we went maybe those one or two tweaks that we mentioned in terms of bayich and uh, and Hustic. and they're probably the the two guys that are playing at the highest level for us anyway so you yeah. want them to be automatic inclusions for us too yeah mm. the other thing that i guess arose from this game was the amazing atmosphere at amy park and it wasn't just the Socceroos fans in, in attendance, but the Vietnamese fans who came out mm-hmm. in numbers and made it a packed house. You know, it's always the existential question with Australian soccer. How do we get more people to the games? How do we get more people to watch on TV? Why don't all these people follow the A-League, etc., and so on? Uh, but I was suggesting on Twitter that maybe the way to get these Vietnamese fans back to the domestic matches is to have one of the players from the national team playing week in, week out. You know, it, it's... 
Victoria Street, um, mm-hmm. Vietnamese hub in Melbourne. If, yep. if people are watching from interstate and don't aren't familiar with it, uh, is just a stone's throw from from Swan Street, from Amy Park the Stadium or Melbourne Rectangular Stadium, as we yes. call it, and when yeah, we're playing in the AFC. Yep. Uh, and Vietnam has some handy players who I think would be ex- excellent as additions to the A League, particularly. I mean, it might be too late. His stock may have risen too high, but uh, Nguyen Quang Hai, mm-hmm. the pint-sized left-footed playmaker who is just an absolute wizard with the ball and I think would comfortably fit the standard of the A-League even as a, a star foreign importer and marquee signing. Yeah, it's like, you know, I, I agree with you in terms of trying to find those markets, you know, that whole fish where the fish are kind of adage from mm. from David Gallup we'll probably see in the, the crowd tonight from MacArthur versus Western United but um what they what we have done previously in the past and I touch on it in my book um be my guest when Kazoo played for for Sydney FC and he had three mm. three home games for them this is the start of the A League so 2005 they marketed to the Japanese community there's Japanese newspapers in in Sydney there's Japanese restaurants they had a Buy, buy uh, four tickets for the price of three and they got the crowd up with something like 15,000 Japanese fans in one of the games. Mm. So absolutely what you're suggesting can happen and can work with these different migrant communities, new Australian communities all the way around the country that they can do this. So yes, agreed. There's obviously going to be some talent there. We can see they've got a lot of, there's a lot of pace, um, a lot of ability. I think it would work. It would get some numbers in, that's for sure. So looking into this situation with Kong Hai, his contract, he was on a really long-term contract at Hanoi uh, and it's due to expire in the off-season. Um, but there are a number of clubs talking to him. I, I thought his most likely destination would be the J-League, but apparently uh, Hanoi are trying to give him this massive signing bonus to stay in Vietnam and because uh, he's such a star attraction there. So maybe he's not the player. Maybe that's an unrealistic target. But even some of the other players in that starting 11 for Vietnam... Uh, I think would still attract some attention if they were marketed in the right way. Yeah, agree. And it just doesn't have to be a Vietnamese player. I mean, and you just got to look at the demography of Australia and the largest ethnic groups and which of those are into soccer and which of those are based near the grounds and in, in, in the cities where we yeah. have teams and, and and try and get some some good footballers. And we've seen today that the Melbourne City have announced another uh, Japanese signing. Uh, the last one didn't go too well. He didn't really get near the first team uh, very often. But uh, this one comes to us from from Toronto FC. He's been pushed out of his foreign spot at Toronto uh, because a certain Lorenzo Insigne has taken it up. So uh, Australia getting the uh, the offcuts from the MLS. Yeah, and it's hard to see. I mean, we we looked at a few highlights uh, before the show. It's hard to ascertain how he's going to be. But again, this talk we talked about it before with the Asians Champion League coming up and where we're placed. We need to embrace Asian players more into our local competition. We are a part of uh, the Asian Confederation. Works for us when it comes to the Asian Cup. It works for us. Has worked for us in the last three qualifications. Um, and then we got the ability or the chance to make it again this time around. We need to embrace Asia. I can't say it enough. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And uh, Subasa Endo is is the player who's just been announced at 5 p.m. today uh, as uh, Melbourne City signing for the rest of the season. Uh, he looks like kind of second striker, sort of winger type. Maybe he can operate in the midfield free. It seems like the same dilemma they've been having with Marco Tilio, but... Uh, he certainly adds to the attacking depth, and I suspect this might spell the end for Manuel Pucciarelli, who's barely sighted the first team uh, despite arriving as a much-vaunted 
foreign player and, and didn't even get into the makeshift 11 that they, they played in the, in the last round. Well, he made the highlights because he was hugging Diamante um, <laughs> at the start of the game and uh, obviously talking Italian with him. You're right. And, and also not to, to take out the fact that there will be um, FIFA windows that the A-League will still play games and have a lot of a rush of games coming through where that attacking part of Melbourne City will be in the Socceroos squad. Mm. So you talk about um, who do we have? We had Leckie, we had McLaren, we had Tilio. Uh, Naboot was injured for the A-League, so he's a fringe Socceroo, and, and we also had Connor Metcalf. So in terms of attacking-type players, that's what they need that depth for because they're going to have to rely on Kolakowski and and the like. So, yeah, that's what they probably brought him in for, you know, the last sort of last-minute January transfer. Let's get this guy. We need an attacker. Where can we find one? So, Oman, 3 a.m. kickoff. Uh, they're coached by the Croatian Branko Ivankovic, who has coached uh, the likes of, well, in Asia, Alakli and Persepolis. Uh, he's also been in charge of, of clubs like Dinamo Zagreb, coached Iran in the earlier uh, period in, in the 2000s. I think they were uh, Asian Champions League finals with Persepolis in Iran in, in 2018. So the coach has some pedigree. Apparently they're, they're a much improved outfit and these sort of mid-ranking Middle Eastern sides away from home can be a bit of a banana skin for the soccer. As you've seen uh, with Jordan in the past, mm-hmm. has proved a very difficult game. So what are you expecting tonight? Uh, are we expecting to win Dun Dun Dun? Well, as you mentioned, Aman's last roll of the dice for them to try and pinch third spot in the group. They can aim for that playoff spot. Um, I would think it will be it won't be an easy win if we do win. So we, we need the three points. We desperately need the three points. So let's hope. I'll say two one to us. Two one. I, I think that's a good prediction. I'm I'm pretty much on the same page. I I'm optimistic about this particular game after the Vietnam performance and the form that Rogic seems to be in and you know the uh, confidence that will come from that result. Uh, the test comes in the next couple of games against Japan and Saudi Arabia because that's the kind of caliber of opposition where Graham Arnold has sort of, and this team have have found their ceiling and haven't got past, you know, we lost to the UAE mm-hmm. at the Asian Cup in 2019. Uh, we very well could have lost to, to Saudi Arabia at home just a few months ago. We lost to Japan away. So those two crunch games to try and get the automatic spot are looking dicey for me. Uh, still, but I'm I'm optimistic about this Oman game at, at the very least. Well, there was a bit of euphoria from from last Thursday's game in terms of the crowd, the atmosphere, the result, the, the way they played. But they should have won four 0 At least we would have mm. taken that at the start, given where we are in the group and where they are. So um, let's hope it rolls into tonight. And we get the three points, and then we've got the do or die clashes coming up in March. But I, I was excited because the the Japan game in Sydney is the Thursday night before the Football Riders Weekend in uh, Football Riders Festival in Jamboree. So I'm like, I was up there anyways. That's fantastic. So I'll get to go to that. So I'm looking forward to that. Travelling soccer support. We love to see it. Uh, so Japan versus Saudi Arabia tonight is a big game for our World Cup prospects. Uh, as much as it seems odd, I think everybody should be cheering for Saudi Arabia in this one because if Australia wins and Saudi Arabia wins tonight... Uh, we leapfrog Japan into second spot in the mm. table, and then Japan, they need to they need to come to Sydney and get something. That's right, and they can't. We can't really take top spot the way it is placed at yeah. the moment. And those last two games are going to be so so hard. <laughs> let's not sugarcoat it. It's going to be very very tough. So we just get those three points tonight. Let's cheer on Saudi Arabia for the early game. See where we go. Come on, Saudi Arabia. 
I've uh, I've just uh, uh, bought a Newcastle United season ticket. I'm all aboard Saudi Arabian train. No, um, if if they win their next two games, it could get to the point where our game away in Riyadh is in dead fact rubber. a dead rubber yeah, for yeah. them yep. and they potentially rotate players and it makes it a little bit easier. But of course, we've got to get past Japan in Sydney first. Permutations, permutations. We'll mull over those during the break. On the other side, we've got an A-League coaching appointment and a sacking to talk about. The Western Sydney Wanderers in the headlines again. Mark Rudan is the man to replace Carl Robinson. Get your questions in, your opinions in during the break and we'll catch you on the other side here on the Oz Football Hour presented by GIS. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter. Costa Barbarousas. Wow. Oh, Carl Robinson's tenure as Western Sydney Wanderers head coach is over. Sacked after just seven games this season after a disappointing campaign last season as well. All of the fury around his departure from the Newcastle Jets and the players that he pinched are... bit of a storm in a teacup in the end because Western Sydney didn't really get anywhere under his stewardship and they've wasted no time. First thing Monday morning announcing Mark Rudan as his successor on a caretaker appointment until the end of the campaign. Uh, Rudan last coached Western United, uh, was uh, dispensed with after they finished in the bottom two. Uh, But, you know, he did do some good things with Wellington Phoenix and he did make the finals and I think finished third or fourth with Western United in his, his first season there. So he certainly has some pedigree and definitely uh, is uh, Western Sydney through and through, unless you count his tenure as Sydney FC captain. Josh Parrish and Jason Goldsmith with you on the Oz Football Hour, presented by GIS. GIS.sport slash FNR is the place to go to find out how to kickstart your career in football business. Uh, Jason, let's start with Robinson first. Uh, what did you make of his tenure in charge? What the hell is going on in Wonderland? And do you think Rudan can do anything about it? Oh, whoa, 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 slow down, slow down. This is if, one by it, one. <laughs> Carl, Carl Robinson, so is there a little bit of karma? Like he, we've got this high-profile Welsh guy who you know, played played a bit of high-level football himself. I think he played – did he play with Tim Cahill? It was at um, – New York Red um, Red Bulls for a while. I mean, mm-hmm. he might have been with Thierry Henry. So he's got a little bit of pedigree as a player. Coached Alphonse Davies in um, the Vancouver Whitecaps, who's doing a little bit of uh, okay stuff now with uh, <laughs> in Germany. So he's got a good background. He signs with Newcastle, brings the, the family out, a bit of a you know, coach around the world, that kind of thing. But then he deserts them and he goes to Western Sydney Wanderers. And then some of the recruitment there with the Wanderers is, is interesting to say the least. Mm. Um, when he brought on McDonald last year and he had all those strikers, um, you know, in, in the team but couldn't finish. And when he, he called out the team for having no leaders and no characters. Yeah. And, and when some of the press conferences, when he's like, that's a very good question, I don't know. Things like that. Like normally press conferences, he's been, that's been his strong point. He's yeah. actually been able to sell, sell the dream somewhat, but uh, he has not delivered at all. And it's an interesting one too, because if you think, He's clearly lost the dressing room. There's a lot of off-field issues with the Wanderers too. Mm. Um, players like Bernie Abini have followed him to three different clubs, you know, come through. So he might be a good man manager mm. as well, one-on-one, but said tactically maybe not. But the game, his last game, they were woeful mm. Saturday night. 
I'm not sure many people would have watched it because Ash Barty was playing at the same time. But if you if you check out the replay or the highlights, they were terrible. Yeah, uh, they were pretty horrendous against Brisbane Raw. 3-0 defeat to a team that's been at the foot of the table all season. Uh, Robertson, for me, and his kind of media persona, it's extraordinary. I've interviewed him a couple of times on here, and trying to pin him down on anything is impossible. I think he's gone to some of those like seminars, how, to, cliches, yeah, how to win yeah. friends and influence people, because you ask him a question, you try and ask him the tough questions about you know what's going on at the Wanderers and the expectations. You know, We were interviewing preseason, so I was trying to say things like, surely no excuses now. I mean, you've signed all these players and so forth. And he he responds with this kind of long-winded answer that goes through all these different topics and he starts talking about what he wants to talk about and you completely forget what you've asked at the end of the answer and, and can't tell what he's just told you. He's like... It's not uh, me listening to you right now. I don't know where, where you're going. <laughs> exactly. <kidding. laughs> no, kidding. it's yeah. a totally circuitous yeah. kind of uh, response, but he sounds so confident in everything that he says. And you can see why a, a slippery guy like that can inf- can influence and, and earn the, the confidence of and charm sort of executive types that make these decisions in hiring coaches and owners as well. Apparently, Paul Lederer, the Western Sydney Wanderers owner, actually pushed for Robinson because he, he took a shine to him. Mm. So I'm, I think the Wanderers need a little bit more football direction and a little less personality politics when they're choosing who is in charge of all of this. There's five coaches in five years since Popper at the Wanderers. Mm. Um, let's look at it. Let's, let's spin it slightly on a, on a positive way this makes it that um all of the a-league coaches are now australian coaches so if we want to develop and get the next foster Coglu, mm. musket uh, arnold etc we all now have australian coaches that's great they will be more likely to develop hopefully in theory younger aussie talent so maybe that's going to help push through to the national team in that respect but he, he was a salesman there was nothing if you if you if you go down to the nitty-gritty of all the answers to those questions he's, there's not much we didn't see much substance in those in those few seasons with us. Um, yeah, Newcastle people mm. would be quite happy, I'm, I'm guessing, given <laughs> given how that sort of went about. There's peak shout and Freud at Newcastle oh, Jets at the, the moment, I the, bet. The karma bus massively. But anyway, but they, they lost 3-0 on um, on Saturday night. They could have lost 5 or 6-0. They seriously didn't get mm. anywhere near it. They're horrible. Yeah. So I'm just going to read a quote here in the Sydney Morning Herald from John Satsumas defending the club's uh, decision to hand Robinson full control over all signings and not really having a a director of football in charge of that kind of thing. Uh, The head coach needs to be able to govern the way he wants to convey his team on the pitch, being able to bring in the players he identifies the way he wants to play, he said. When we invest in a coach, we believe in him and believe in the structure that he'll bring. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for Carl, but having said that, Mark is here to pick up the pieces. I guess he could have added, unfortunately, it didn't work out for Carl or Marcus or Yossip or JP. Yeah. Or, like, How many coaches need to fail to, for you know the Western Sydney Wanderers' ownership to realise that the backroom staff and the the front office side of things is is not fit for purpose. And are they doing reference checks? Because there's all those names that you told me all got second gigs, or what? Or was their second gig as well? Yeah. Like, um, it's 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 a good thing that they're reinvesting into Australian coaches, right? So John Aloisi, Mark Redan, etc. This is a good thing. I think they see this as a good thing for us long term. Hopefully, we'll see that turn around. But they gave they did say that they gave Carl Robinson 
like full control of the football department. Mm. So there was no one really, you know, it was who was he accountable to? No, I guess the fans in the end. But yeah, we want the Wanderers to be. We need the Wanderers to be successful. There's nothing better when when they were up and about with full house. That was that was. I don't want to say peak A League, but it's fantastic to watch, and we need that happening again. So. Hopefully for them and for the competition it turns around because we would like a strong Wanderers, wouldn't we? Well, five coaches, five years. Redan is the sixth. Is he a good appointment? I'm not sure. Um, he, he is vehemently disliked among certain portions of the Australian football fan base and mm-hmm. soccer Twitter and et cetera and so on. I think that dislike is more personal than it is professional. Yeah. And honestly, in my dealings with him, uh, in terms of press conferences and so forth, he's always been an immensely impressive operator tactically. He will always talk about the game with you. Most coaches are so guarded about their plans that it's actually really refreshing to have a guy come out and say, you know, explain what he was trying to do, explain what his team was trying to do, where they fell short or where they succeeded. And that's... That's re- re- refreshing from a media perspective and trying to get people interested in the A-League to have a guy who's entertaining in press conferences and actually answers your questions. And it shows off, I guess, when he's when he's doing that, it, it does show off his tactical brain and his intellect. But my question with him is man management and, you know, the uh, locker room at, at uh, sorry, Western United seemed to completely fall apart in the second year of his or uh, of his tenure in the, in the, the sort of latter stages of his his reign. Yep. The motivation in that squad when they got beaten, what was it, five one by Melbourne Victory at Amy Park in front yep. of an empty stand, was rock bottom. That no one could be bothered running anymore, and there were players arguing with each other on the pitch, and it was a real like it was a mess emotionally. So that's my that's my question. I agree with you as a media pundit, like his, his analysis is fantastic or, or has been. And you look at the progression, right? So from NPL, finally get a, to get a go at Wellington and mm. did really well at the Phoenix. Yep. And then he wanted to come home for his family. His family's in Sydney, right? So he comes home for his family for a job in Melbourne. So again, right, his family didn't move down with him to Melbourne, did they? No. So Well, he, I'd not initially anyway. So does a good job at the Phoenix, does a good job at Western United first year. Second year, not so good. What's going on separately, right? So he's from Sydney. He's back in Sydney. He wanted to be back in Sydney. So that might make the difference. The only problem you have, he's on a, he's basically a caretaker till the end of the season and he's working with a squad he didn't pick. So what can he do? He's going to have to work out the, the pros and cons of his players, put it together and say this mm. is how we're going to play for the rest of the season. But there's plenty of games to work it out. We were talking before. There's almost an A-league game. Every night now, not that you would know it, but they've got to make up all those COVID, COVID mm-hmm. games. And so, yeah, there'll be plenty of football for him to watch and learn from and plenty of games for the Wanderers to really put it out there. The other thing is I'm slightly surprised that they've, they've gone straight away with Rudan and not appointed one of Feliti or particularly Gary Van Egmond mm-hmm. as the Who's caretaker. There? Yeah, yeah. And that's got to be a blow for Van Egmond, I, I assume. I mean, maybe he doesn't have that aspiration anymore. Yeah. But I, I assumed when I saw that appointment is he is here to take over and pick up the pieces once they have to sack Robinson. Yeah, I thought that, that's that was, what it was. I think yeah. we said it last week on the yeah. show. He he was there. He was ready to go. He was he was warming up on the sidelines. But it was actually it was like Rene Muenstein bring brought in as co head coach alongside Martin Yole at Fulham when they were going to get relegated. I don't know if anyone remembers that, but that's too obscure for me. <laughs> I, I do have some Fulham mates that are Fulham fans. So uh, shout out to John if you're listening. Um, 
Yeah, interesting to see. Like, uh, I'm not sure. They've got a game tomorrow, so it's actually we'll be able to see it fairly quickly. Mm. They're hosting Perth Glory uh, Wednesday night. So if you can mm. manage to stay up after the Socceroos game to, to the next kickoff, <laughs> which is Wednesday night, you'll be able to check it out and see what he does. It'll be interesting to see, that's for sure. Yeah, Rodan has favoured a back three in his previous uh, tenure uh, as Western Sydney, uh, sorry, Western United manager and uh, at Wellington Phoenix in his second season as well. I think at the start he was playing a 4-2-3-1, mm-hmm. which might work better with the personnel that Wanderers have available given that they're, they're losing centre-backs. Uh, you know, Reese Williams South is out for a long yeah. time. Maybe they could go back to the back three and, and bring Ziggy Gordon in as maybe the right-sided centre-back and, and go that way. I'm not sure whether it's a formation issue or a selection issue, um, but there are certain players who the Wanderers assigned this season who just haven't lived up to the billing, who haven't lived up to expectations. And for me, Bernie Abini and Tom Hemed are chief among them. Mm-hmm. And I would like to see changes in that department because they seem to always start when they're fit. Yeah. And their best game this season has come with Ogawa playing as a false nine in that three-all draw against Melbourne City at Amy Park. They were fantastic to watch. Yes, they were porous on the defensive end, but maybe you can figure that out. Mm. And that was only because Abini was unavailable and Hamed, I think, was coming back from COVID or something and, and was benched. So that was a, a selection Rob, Rob, of necessity. Did Robinson miss that game, though, from memory? That was the game <laughs> that go. Robinson coached from his hotel room. That's right, yeah. Well, so worked, maybe that was... Worked for Arnie on Thursday night, <laughs> Amy, at, at the Rectangular Stadium. So, yeah. That's the way that yeah. to, to coach at Amy Park. Don't be on the sidelines. But maybe maybe it's an addition by subtraction. So, you know, the longest <laughs> lockdown city in the world. We're used to it. We can actually thrive in that situation, perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. But uh, Mark Rodan, let us know your thoughts on the appointment. Uh, West Sydney fans certainly divided, but I think he will provide certainly an uptick in form, at least in the short term. He's just got to get him motivated to play. They, don't, mm. they look like they don't want to be there. or The players no. just look like they don't want to be there. So you change that up. They all got short contracts. Surely they need to impress. Yeah, longer term, I'm not sure, you know, about his sort of management of egos in the dressing room and, and so forth. It seemed to go sour at, at Western United and maybe he left before that could happen at, at Wellington Phoenix. Uh, but certainly... For the immediate term, I'm expecting big new manager bounce for the Wanderers and then might even propel them, you know, to, you know, within cont- finals contention uh, because they've got an amazing squad on paper. Yeah. It's just they just haven't found the formula to make those players work together. I mean, Ugarkovic, Antonis, like there are so many good players in this team and they, they should be a lot a lot higher in the table than they are. Uh, let's take another short break. On the other side, we've got a certain Scottish import to talk about. We might even have a little listen to uh, to what he said post-game. Jason Cummings, the cum dog, touching down in Australia and arriving with a bang with a goal on debut. Cum dog chat coming up on the other side of this break on the Oz Football Hour, presented by the Global Institute of Sport. No, it feels good, you know. Um, obviously, no use to the heat. You know, back in Scotland, it was a bit cold than this, so it was quite tough to you know, get used to the different climate. You know, I was blowing after the first 10 minutes, but I managed to get used to it. Um, you know, we go 1-0 down, managed to get a goal, and then I score a decent goal to get us 2-1. You know, it was looking good, but then you know, we got a little bit sloppy at the end, and you know, it ended up being a bit of a um, poor result for us, which is a wee bit gutting. Hopefully you see the Joker celebration every game. Um, you know, I think I need to copyright that celebration when people start copying me. Maybe get on FIFA one day.
No, it helps massively, you know. It puts me in the shot window so everyone can see what I'm capable of over here. Um, you know, and it'd be a dream come true if I can get a call up to the Socceroos. So it's something that I'll be um, driving towards, you know. But most importantly, I just want to do well for the Mariners. Um, you know, score as many goals as I can. Jason Cummings, not backwards about coming forwards with his Socceroos ambitions after his goal on debut for the Central Coast Mariners. He looked completely spent after his hour or so on the park in the heat. But uh, my, did he uh, provide the Mariners with some energy and bustle up front? How entertaining was he? He was so entertaining. And if you can um, get the chance to to look at the vision of that uh, post-match interview, he's just wearing the vest. (laughs) All the tats are on display with his arms and his legs. He's just wearing the vest. But he hopefully continues in that form. So I want we want this we want a box office star. You know, socks sort of down. Mm. He he was struggling in the heat. You could see it. He wasn't backing backing up. He only lasted sixty minutes before he was um, taken off. But he scored the goal to put him up. So he has the ability to really help them. In that post match interview, he looked like a state four player in a preseason training uh, yep. friendly. Like he was just yeah, as you say, just wearing the bib and completely drenched the, the in be, sweat. The beer can afterwards that would make it proper <laughs> village. It and of course great. the yeah. tats down yeah. both arms as well. And he was kind of squinting to try and you know and, and turning his ear to try and understand the uh, the sideline report. It was great stuff. It uh, was. I mean they talked they talked about the weather though. They talked mm. about how humid it was and he's just off he's fresh off the mm. boat for about, you know, four or five days or something like that. So he only had two training runs with the team and the rest of it. So to score on debut is fantastic. I'm not sure if he's cleared to play in the FFA Cup final this Saturday night. No. Uh, the competition rules state that any player signed after the semifinals cannot play in the final. But Sean Millicamp has asked FFA, or Football Australia, I should say, for an exemption, uh, saying that given you know the rules um, in place uh, for a cup competition not staged in the era of COVID where you've got multiple yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, cancellations of games and postponements and so forth and it's all been chaos to get this final actually played, surely you can turn a blind eye and, and let him play in the showpiece final. Like oh, We want him. We want the cum dog. Seriously, we need yeah. him there. Like He has the Joker celebration when he scores mm. as well. His, um, his Instagram's very, very amusing because he's, he's surfing for the first time and all the rest of it. And for those that aren't aware, we've mentioned it a few times, he's an Australian mum, so yeah. he actually can be a, a potential socceroo. We're going to have more uh, Scottish players than, in, you know, local Aussies in the national team. Well, they took, yeah, Lyndon Dykes and we're taking three. So, you know. Yeah, one Lyndon Dykes for Harry Sutar, Martin Boyle and, and Jason Cummings might actually be a fair trade in the end. So not only did he score the goal and, and also, you know, looked very amusing how much he was struggling in the heats. But um, I don't know if you recall, there was a foot race with Elvis Cam Sober at some stage, which was, I thought, he's, he's actually keeping up with him. And then he realised he wasn't going to. <laughs> and so he just wiped him out. Yeah, yellow card and knocked him <laughs> down. But um, yeah, it could have been a lot worse because he, he's saying he swung one leg and then the other and then an arm and stuff like that. He kept with him for about 10 metres and then he's like, I'm not going to catch this guy. Great to watch. I mean, we're kind of leaning into the meme and the personality, but I actually think he's pretty good. Like, he's handy. He's uh, a real uh, nightmare for a defender to mark because he's always on the move. Yep. He's always running from the blind side trying to pressure you when you've got the ball. Uh, he's not afraid to put his body into you, but he's got a decent turn of pace, as you say. Yeah, he held it up well early before, yeah. he, before he scored that goal. Like, he, he, wasn't, he didn't mm. touch it too much because obviously he's still trying to literally find his feet with the weather and the team, but... 
yeah, it was great. It's a shame that they got done in the end because, yeah, yeah at 2-1 up and he's come off, you know, they're looking all right, the Mariners. This would be a great, great result. When he came off, I think they lost the outlet ball because the Mariners are a simple, hardworking 4-4, F-ing 2 kind yep. of team. And, you know, you've got Marco Arena and Cummings up front now. So Maresh can move to the wing and, you know, he's, he's not a player that really makes runs in behind. He's a player that likes to create with the ball at his feet. Uh, so when you've got two strikers who can both break off the last defender and make a run and also come to the ball and, and hold it up, then it makes a very unpredictable proposition for form, predominantly four-man defences mm. who are used to marking one centre forward and not two. Uh, so I think they're actually a, a dangerous proposition for uh, the rest of the league. They're a point of difference, the Mariners. It's kind of like watching Burnley in the Premier League yeah, or something. And Bazanich has been in great form for mm. as well, trying to sort of, he scored a really good goal, but he's also been provider, doing very, very well. So Cummings had one shot and scored a goal. We mm. contrast that with um, Trent Bahaja, who we talked about last week. <laughs> and I talked him up about, uh, you know, how good he looked at Sydney FC with, with Ninkovic and stuff. He, he missed some sitters. He was one-on-one with a, with a keeper twice, I think. Once went missed it, kicked it out, out of ground. Yeah, he completely missed the ball just, at one point. He just lost his, his feet. looked like he had his shoes on the wrong foot. Like, yeah. Bahaja is the most frustrating player when he gets into the final third. He's always going at a million miles an hour and mm. he's – are always missing gilt-edged opportunities. Yeah, you could probably got to learn to slow down somehow. I don't think the brain doesn't keep up with the feet, doesn't compute because there's a few heavy mm. touches there and and a few things he missed. Yes, yeah, some crazy ones. Um, and then yeah, Bobo got uh, scored a goal, ruled offside. VR intervened for for Sydney FC and then it brought it back to two all. Yeah, and uh, it was Caceres who, who scored the winner for Sydney after his earlier penalty to bring it back to two one. But uh, yeah, we, he was. Uh, looking good, Caceres. I thought it was actually Max Burgess who changed the game when he came off the bench. Mm. Uh, in his sort of job share with Ninkovic, they always sub off or on for one another. And he had a particularly good game in that last half an hour when the Mariners were tiring. Yeah. Burgess, it went almost unnoticed by the commentators. I don't know what game they were watching, but I thought that he deserved some more plaudits. He didn't get any of the votes that they do at the end of the game on, on Paramount. Uh, but I thought he was exceptional. He was, it was his little reverse ball that led to the Caceres winner. Mm. Um, so, I mean, Max Burgess, I think, is a top player and he's not being utilised to his full potential at Sydney this season. No. The polish of that finish was fantastic too with Caceres just flicking it up to then to put on the outside of the boot as well. It was really the last 20 minutes mm. that Sydney FC came to the fore to win it. Um, a good result for them given the, the few games prior to that. Yeah, it's a result that Steve Corica needed, but uh, all the headlines were about Jason Cummings, and I think rightly so. <laughs> so will he play in the FFA Cup final? We're not sure. Don't know yet if uh, Football Australia will give the go-ahead the exemption. I'm sure Victory won't be won't be keen to face him. It's it, not, not, a, not a fun guy to mark. I, I imagine he's yapping in your ear at every opportunity as well when he, the ball's down the other end. We want a point of difference. We want a selling point. We want yeah. a full house. We'll, we'll probably get a full house anyway at Amy because it's Victory, but we want you know, for the TV game, you know, live coverage on free to air of the final. We want, uh, we want all the characters there. We want to make it mm. half a chance because the way Melbourne victory finished off their semi-final against Wellington Phoenix, I think they were going to the cup final at home as the favorites. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, Mila Camp makes a decent point in that the Mariners played their semi-final, what, two weeks before victory did. Yeah. So theoretically, Victory has two more weeks to sign a player for the final than the Mariners do. And if the semi-final had been this weekend, uh, just as Victory's was, then Cummings would be eligible. So I I think that's a decent point. The the games weren't played at the same time. Therefore, the rules are not the same for both teams. Therefore, 
let him play. Like, come on. We want him to play. We want him to play. Yeah. To Even as a, yeah. I'm a victory fan, I still want to see him on the pitch. Like, it would be make the game more interesting. Uh, so that, that one's going to be at Amy Park. Uh, victory uh, managed to secure their place in the FA Cup final with a 4-1 win over Wellington. They went a goal down in this game, but turned it on in the second half. A couple of goals from Nick D'Agostino. A nice strike from Josh Berlante as well. And Ben Falami looks to be in the form of his career. I mean, you were pretty impressed with him. I was very much so. So, yeah, um, providing the assists, scoring the goals, um, yeah, really was. Um, he he really is playing some good good football. It didn't seem to be that way last year. Everyone's like, oh, this is the guy that's, you know, spent some time in the UK, you know, but he's really starting to put it together. Make, sometimes a different coach will do that for you, a bit of, mm. bit of faith in the rest of it. I mean, they really came home with a wet sail, the victory, but, you know, the Phoenix were 1-0 up and then they had a goal ruled out for offside in the 60 minutes. They could have been 2-0 up at some stage as well, but they really did come home and those last 10 minutes, it was all Melbourne victory and, yeah, and people were talking about Robbie Cruz as well as Falami. So some actual form for those guys coming in. Yeah. Um, Falami, I think it's early early days. He's had a couple of good weeks. You know, he had a great big blue against Sydney. He had a great game in the semifinal, but it's pumped the brakes ever so slightly. I mean, he's played for the Ollie Roos. Yeah. Looked good in patches for them. You know, I, I don't know if the consistency is just there yet to put him in national team conversations or anything, but, you know, he's, he's playing well and... Uh, you know, long may it continue for a guy who's so good at running at defenders. We we tend to get excited when young when yeah. young players play four or five games in a row that are good. We we want young players to put together two or three years in a row that's yeah. any good, and then get the chance to. He's come back to develop and get minutes, which is what he's getting. And then if he's good enough, he'll he'll sign for a team abroad, um, which is what we would hope for our guys yeah. to do that have any national team ambitions. So let's not get too excited. Let's just hope that this form continues. Mm. Um, he's 22. He's got plenty of time. Um, get some form together. Maybe they win the cup on Saturday night and he's, he scores and he helps them, whatever. Puts him in the shop window for, for whatever he wants to do from here. That three-man punch off the bench for victory, Chris Economides, Robbie Cruz, Nick D'Agostino, is, I would argue, up there with the very best in the competition, that, that bench depth. And those three players would all be pushing for a start, of course, especially Economides because he was signed as this is their star player in the off season, but he's been troubled by injury. But Cruz in a bit part role, you know, he's had so many injury problems. He's a divisive player when it comes to national teams, of course, but I've always been a massive fan of him. And playing as that number 10 off mm-hmm. the bench, I thought he was exceptional. The way he linked up, the way he maybe... Uh, fed the ball to to Falami in positions that were more threatening and and made the uh, Wellington fence turn on their heels and chase. I thought he was fantastic. Yeah, Economides is one of those guys we talked about that we mm. got excited about early too. Yep. You know, he got capped probably before he before he should have just to sort of push off Greece uh, away from looking at them. So we, yeah, you want him to get him minutes mm. as well. I agree with Cruz. If he's if his ego is okay with him coming off the bench, then that's the perfect role for him because mm. the last twenty minutes with his skills and his pace that he will make the difference on plenty of games if he's, if he's coming off yeah. the bench. D'Agostino should be pushing for a starting spot. So that, that punch coming off is amazing. We saw what he did with the Oli Roos and getting him to qualify for the Olympics. Um, and he showed some glimpses at Perth as well. Another one we want to push through. But I, I would think, yeah, if Robbie Cruz is okay with that because mm. he struggled a lot last year, um, 20 minutes off the bench, he'd be ideal. D'Agostino for me is an interesting one. He's a player that I've struggled to get a handle on. Sometimes he has horrendous games. He's such a confidence player. Sometimes he scores wonder goals mm-hmm. and miss sitters. And, you know, he's sort of a bit of an enigma. Uh, but 
when the game opens up a bit, he, he gets on the end of stuff. Yeah. He gets there before defenders. And uh, that's why I think, at least in the short term, probably better used as an impact substitute. Well, he's scoring the goals that way, isn't he? So yeah, he's exactly. leading, leading the goal scorer for victory and he's, he's, he's getting them. He hasn't scored that many goals minutes, starting, yeah. but no. he scored plenty of goals off the bench. So yeah. why would you change that formula when you've got a guy who's almost guaranteed to, you know, stick one in the back of the net if you bring him on in the last 20 minutes? I mean, that's that's a luxury that few coaches have. And Marjota, even though he hasn't been scoring that often, I think he provides a little bit more link play, you know, when the game is tighter, when the game is against set defenses, when he can receive the ball in tight than D'Agostino usually does. Uh, but D'Agostino's got a physical edge that... that tells against tired players. So I would I would keep it that way if I was if I was Popovich. I mean it's just it's a selection dilemma for him now because you've got one striker in form and one who's, you know, maybe not hitting the target as often as he should. But uh victory face Central Coast Mariners in the FFA Cup final and uh we saw the ticket release um and they haven't price gouged at least the existing bucks, members. I think thirty dollars? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Nice one for a, I think we'll get a packed out stadium as a result. Will Jason Davidson change his hair colour for a final? Do you think the gold one, just like they have a gold World Cup ball? Well, he's, well, he's had the he's had the platinum blonde and he's yeah. had the blue and the, now the pink. So maybe would you, you do it for a final? Mm. Navy blue. Yeah. Mm. Okay. He's had he's had the sky blue, which White I thought v. was yeah. mm, I wasn't a huge fan of to be honest. Uh, there's a lot of photoshops of him uh, like looking like a pool cube <laughs> <laughs> versus the finger bun of the the bright pink that we've got at the moment. I'm oh. not sure what he's uh, what he's got in store for us, but I can't wait to find out. Um, last ones to go through on this program before we go to our second hour and uh, welcome Pakua Frimpong on for Radio Dub. All of our Matildas chat will be at the top end of that program, so stay with us. For, I'm, I'm for really that. looking forward to that because they yeah. dominated all of our chat prior to <laughs> coming on today. The Matildas, like, yeah. yes, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to you. you. You guys are the experts. You would talk about the Dub stuff. But yeah, yeah they've certainly made the, all the headlines, but uh, we've got a dedicated women's football show coming up in the second hour, so stay tuned for that. Um, but uh, Western United beating Melbourne City 1-0. Uh, did you watch this, Jason, or were you glued to the tennis like Ash, everybody Ash else? Party, party party at my house, absolutely. So <laughs> I, I, watched the, I watched the highlights of this. So, yeah, it was tough because there were six changes to the City side. Um, mm. Yeah, it was a big chance for Western United. There, there wasn't a big crowd there, Western United home game. I think most of the fans were down – the mm. football fans were down Geelong. Oh, we're watching the watching Ash Barty. So you know, one nil to Western United. The the clear highlight for me was probably um, Tom Glover's penalty save from Diamante. Mm. I didn't realise that Diamante scored seven or eight goals in his first season, only one last last season, and he has yet to score this season. So um, that might happen with age, but he he hit that with some force, and it was a tremendous save. But as we mentioned, sometimes the, the last week when Glover saved a pen he, against Adelaide, I think it was. They scored a goal not long after, mm. and that was the winner from uh, Lustica not long after that uh, penalty yep. attempt. Yeah, and uh, Lustica occasionally comes up with an important goal. Um, you know, he's played reasonably well this season, but Western United, for me, their strength is just their, their back line. And one player ended up uh, hitting a milestone game, Nikolai Topol-Stanley, 350 A-League appearances. Pretty amazing, and he's from Canberra originally as well, which has produced a few... Decent footballers mm. uh, or of note, and uh, Ned Zelich and, uh, and Carl Valeri quickly. Uh, Andy Rogic. Bernal, Andy Bernal, if you're listening, yeah, and Tom Rogic, of course. So, um, a, a great career for him. He's played at a few clubs, as is most the case with the A League. But 350 is is nothing to be um, sneezed at, and a nice touch from Scott Jamison, who made uh, the players from Melbourne City form a, a guard of honour for him 
as they walked off the pitch. So um, well done to Nikolai. Yeah, one of those uh, few players who... Uh, did he play in the NSL? He had a few games for Manly United. Was that, no, it wasn't NSL, no, was it? NPL. Yeah, NPL. Yep. So, yeah, no, he didn't actually play in the NSL. My apologies. But, uh, yeah, we've, we've got very few remaining players from that. They might have all gone this season. I think they have. Is it Liam Reddy is the last one? Ah, uh, Liam's still going. He's yes. still yep. he's still on the books. Hanging on. Yeah. Still, li- yeah. That's the last one. I knew there was one. Uh, but uh, Nikolai Topper Stanley hitting that milestone game and from all sports and we've we've chatted to him a little bit on the on the green room. He's uh he's a model professional and a, whatever he's doing in terms of his physical preparation is working. Yeah, good on him. I think he needs to to run a course for uh, for the youngsters coming through on on how they they keep their bodies right. Uh, we had a. Another milestone, second youngest ever A-League goal scorer. Again, an Adelaide United player, so he doesn't even get the club record. Uh, <laughs> but missing out by about a month uh, to his teammate Mo Toure. Nestori Iran Kunda scoring a banger of a free kick to equalise for Adelaide United in their away game late against Newcastle how, Jets. How, how awesome giving the 15-year-old the free kick. Yeah. There's no old pros going, no, no, this is mine, this is mine. He got the free kick. That drew them level, and then they scored an injury time time winner. So just amazing that um, Calviet has the the faith in his kids to do that. That's the more impressive thing for me. Clearly got some talent, but mm. yeah, um, a wonderful goal. Um, fair play to Newcastle. Hadn't played a game for forty two days. That's almost like a preseason break <laughs> or off season break. Forty two days. They come back. They hit the mm. lead. Couldn't quite hang on. I think the free kick was in the eighty eighth minute, mm. and the winner was in injury time. So. Story of their season, though, is that they can't maximise winning positions. Mm. They can't hold on. They, they play such good football. They're so good to watch. This game may be slightly less so because physically they were coming back. And, and yet a late game fade out, not surprising for a team that hasn't played in 42 days. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they created more of the chances. Up until the last 10 or 15 minutes, they were completely on top. And then Adelaide roared home with their, their substitutes and their young players ending up uh, doing the business. Um, but... Yeah, Nestori Iran Kunda, the story of the match with his goal. They ended up scoring the winner in stoppage time, their new signing from Japan, Hiroshi uh, Ibasuki, with a terrific header following a great cross from Josh Cavallo, securing the three points and another result for Newcastle that you know they'd rather forget after a good team performance. But hopefully when they get match fitness, they'll be able to see games out more often because I, th- I think they're one of the best teams to watch in the A-League. Um, unfortunately, we haven't seen them for so long. <laughs> it's hard to remember that they were one of the best teams to watch, but they play some nice attacking football and I, I would love to see them in in the finals race. Yeah, and, and they don't have to wait too long for the next game too. So they're up Thursday against mm. um, Brisbane Raw. So hopefully they can take some of that momentum in there. The Raw is probably a good team to get at that stage as well, I would think. I mean, they had the, um, the Wanderers, so they're not, mm. <laughs> they're not really that tired. No, um, but Newcastle, they're bottom of the league, but they've only played six games. Yep. So who the hell knows how good they really are. And uh, last one before we go, we've got an old firm derby coming up on Thursday morning. Only relevant to this show because of Ange Postacoglu in dugout, but a nice 6.45am kickoff time for us on the, uh, the east coast of Australia. And Rangers have made a star signing on the eve of this game. Yeah, on loan from Juventus, Aaron Ramsey, the ex-Arsenal uh, uh, and, and Welsh Player. So that, that'll be interesting to watch. So if if Celtic beat Rangers, they will take the go to the top, which we probably have to barrack for because of Ange. But, yeah, some breakfast Ange ball at that time. If you've got KO or BN or Fox, make sure you're tuning in Thursday morning. Well, we didn't get uh, Stevie G versus Ange because Stephen Gerrard uh, was out due to COVID protocols uh, for the first old firm derby of the season. But Celtic 
went down one nil. And disappointing performance in that game. We'll see if they can they can bring it against their title rivals. It'll be another style uh, in the other dugout, though. Giovanni Van Bronckhurst is the new Rangers manager. And I think next week, maybe on the Monday or, or Tuesday, we'll try and catch up with our uh, our Scottish football correspondent, Chris McLaughlin, and, mm-hmm. uh, and get the fallout from that one. Uh, but that's 6.45 a.m. on Thursday morning. It was interesting on the uh, the Stan Sport FC show. They had Kevin Musket on, and they asked him who he was supporting in this game, and he refused to answer. <laughs> of course, <laughs> the old, old boss and yeah, ex-Rangers player. Yeah. yeah. So he said, oh, that's a dicey one for me. I'll say I'll answer off air. <laughs> anyway, awesome. so uh, he's between a rock and a hard place to buy the loyalties. But uh, can't wait for that match. Uh, I'd be lying if I said I, I can't wait for Socceroos versus Oman, given the kickoff time, but I'll be up in solidarity. So uh, That's it. Get match fit, Josh. You've got to get ready. Yeah. You've got to do these things sometimes. <laughs> We've got to do them. Got to tough it out for the sake of the national team, for the <laughs> sake of the World Cup. That's coming up tonight, but uh, stick around here on FNR. We've got Radio Dub coming up straight after this. Thank you, Jason. Cheers, Josh. Victory looking to build. Barbarousas is quick. Is he in behind top or Stanley? It doesn't matter. Costa Barbarousas. Wow. And yeah. like a salmon, a spawning salmon. And Diamante again. Oh, he's done it. Unbelievable kick. Come on here.